Welcome back to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins, and this is episode 216. Today we join again our journey through the book of Romans. And we are in Romans chapter 10. We just talked about the first four verses in the last episode. And so I'm going to start at verse 5. The rest of the chapter really kind of addresses the status of Israel. And Paul is going to keep revisiting the place of Israel in the gospel off and on for the rest of the book of Romans. Remember, he's writing to Christians in Rome who used to be Jews or came to Christianity through paganism. And so to these people who used to be Jews, he's he's really clarifying what God thinks about all the rest of their family, all the rest of their people. And he's trying to be comforting and at the same time to inspire them to a bit of evangelistic zeal. So he starts in Romans 10. We'll start with verse 5. He has talked about um, the Jewish people who have great zeal, but it's not based in knowledge because they don't know God. They tried to establish their own righteousness through their own works. They didn't submit to God's righteousness, and so they missed Christ, who is the culmination of the law, so that there's righteousness for everyone who believes. Verse 5, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? that is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. That's Isaiah 28, 16. I'll stop right there. We may go on in a moment, but we've got to stop right there because there is the truth of the gospel. So the righteousness of Moses says, do the right things and you'll live. Paul says that's not the righteousness of faith. That's the righteousness of the law, of the doing, of the working, of the striving. And how'd that work out for you? To coin a phrase from Dr. Phil. It didn't work because nobody could live up to the law. So Paul says what's what's required then is the righteousness that that comes by faith. And it doesn't say who can can go up, who can go down, who can bring Christ this way, who can bring Christ that way. It's a very important point that we miss in the 21st century. What he's saying is the righteousness that is by faith requires no manipulation. 
I don't have to be the one who who names and claims and binds and looses and turns God into my, my servant. God is not required to do what I tell him. I don't have to go bring Christ down from heaven and say, hey, Jesus, look at this, like he can't see. I don't have to go raise Jesus up from the dead to say, hey, Jesus, come and come by your power and do this. It doesn't matter what I say. There's no formulation. There's no incantation that I can speak. Well, when you get done praying, you make sure you say, in Jesus' name, or it ain't no good. That's silliness. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you believe and profess with your mouth. Not You can't order God around. Nor can you work hard enough to make God do what you want him to do. Well, I gave my tithe last month. I think God ought to answer my prayers. It's not like that. God isn't obliged to you. You are obliged to him. It's your obedience that's required. God doesn't have to obey you. And the angels and the spirits, it's not your place to have to order them around. Can you? Sure, you've got that authority. Well, why would you? God will take care of that stuff. Father, this torment is is threatening my, my faith. Please, please deal with this. The book of Ephesians says that in the heavenly realms, when you speak, when you call on God to help you, he does. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, it says all of heaven is moved by the righteous prayer, not the manipulative prayer. And it's an important distinction that you and I must make in this generation when people are saying, you got to tell God to do this and you got to tell God to do that and you need to bind this and loose that and order that and say, in Jesus' name. No, it's not like that. What does the Bible say, Paul says? The word is near you. The word being Christ himself. The active, living, dynamic word of God is is at your side. He is in your mouth and in your heart. And that is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your, if you, sorry, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say, if God picked you beforehand, if you're one of the chosen few, if you're one of the elect, if you're one of the 144,000, if you go to the right church, if you're baptized in the right water, if, if the incantation is spoken over you with the right words, if you go through your catechism, if you have your first communion, if you do your first confession, it doesn't say any of that. Those are all the trappings of human church. It says it's this simple, folks. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because the devil is not going to let you or want you or teach you or empower you to say Jesus is Lord. The devil's not going to say that. 
The enemies of God aren't going to say that. Atheists aren't going to say that. Pagans aren't going to say that. If you can profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart at the same time that God raised him from the dead, you are among the saved. doesn't matter if you were a Jew or a Gentile or a Zoroastrian or anything else. doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, what you've been through, how you've run, how you've betrayed God. If you come to the point that in your mouth are the words, Jesus is Lord, and in your heart is the belief that God raised him from the dead, whatever has come before matters not. That sinful self dies. The new you is resurrected and raised up to new life, and you are a saved and eternal creature of heaven. Amen and hallelujah. Verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The two work together. If you've listened to my, my series through the book of Revelation or you've read my book, you know that I believe that the two witnesses are the church and the word. The two witnesses in the book of Revelation, I believe with all my heart, are the church and the word of God. The church and its testimony and the word of faith. That's it. Those are the things that change the world. Nothing else witnesses to Christ. Nothing else changes the world. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Will they suffer persecution? Yep. Will they suffer loss? Yes. Will they suffer grief? Yes. Will they suffer shame? No, because Christ has removed all their shame. They might get killed, but that's no shame. That's the realization of the, of the purpose for which we were called. It's the worst this world can do with us. Take our lives and send us home. Ooh, I'm so scared. The worst this world can do to me is kill me, and then I'll go home. The world's no threat. There's no shame here. I don't suffer any shame. Was I a sinner? Yes, I was. Can you bring up all the stuff I used to do? Yes, you can. Am I sorry for it? Absolutely. But I've repented of it, and I have died to it. It's not me anymore. If you're still if you're still pointing fingers at me and talking about what I used to do, you're talking to the wrong person. That guy died. He died and has been buried. And sorry, but you can't dig him up. Verse 12, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Wow. To Jews, that's a huge statement because they've they've held on to their identity as though It made them who they were. It's what set them apart. They believe there's a difference. God says there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all 
and richly blesses all who call on him. For, quote, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A quotation from Joel chapter 2, verse 32. <clears throat> everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No one's excluded. No one's written off. No one's kept out. There's no razor wire at the edge of the kingdom of God. Everyone may come in. It requires two things. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So then, how can they call on one they've not believed in? How can they believe in one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. A quote from Isaiah 52. So, you want to think that you're special because you know Christ? And they don't? Well, how could they? If they haven't believed. What sets you apart isn't your title. It isn't your entitlement. It's the fact that you believe. And should you hold that over the people who don't believe? Well, how could they believe? How can they call on one they don't believe? And how can they believe in him if they haven't heard? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how can anyone tell them unless he's sent? Who? Is the hero of the story the one whose feet bring the good news? You know what he's saying, right? You can't judge anyone because you're the one who was sent to them. You're the one who's supposed to be bringing them the good news, not judging them, not pointing your finger and saying, well, we're better than those Jews because they don't believe. Or we're better than those Gentiles because we had the truth of God way before them. No, those people around you don't know. And they don't know because nobody's told them and they don't, and nobody's told them because you didn't go. You haven't gone because you didn't understand you were the one who was sent. Now you do. It's your place to go. It's your feet who are to bring the good news. That the battle has been won, that the attack isn't coming, that the enemy's been defeated that there's hope and salvation and peace. If they don't have it, it's because you haven't showed them. Get busy. Verse 16, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Did the Jews not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Psalm 19.4 Again I ask, did Israel not understand? Moses was the first to say, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. They got it. They heard and they understood. Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. In Isaiah's message, that's God speaking about Israel. I was found by those who did not seek me. 
I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. Israel has no excuse. They heard and they knew. But concerning Israel, he goes on to say, this quote is Isaiah 65 too. All day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Look with me now at the flow of this chapter. Look at the flow. Look at the big picture. My heart is for the Israelites. They had a lot of zeal, but they trusted in their works instead of their faith. They didn't know him. And so they didn't do the things of submission and of faith. They tried to do the things of works. They missed Christ, the culmination of of all the law, so that righteousness could be for everyone because they were too busy holding on to their station and and their name. Moses defined them. He said the person who does these things will live by them. The converse is true. The person who doesn't do these things will die by them. The righteousness that comes by faith isn't worried about what you do or what you don't do. The righteousness that comes by faith says, stop scheming and and manipulating God. You can't make God do anything. You're the one who has to get in line. You're the one who has to be in obedience by faith, by testimony. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That's our message, Paul says. That's our message, verse 8. That's our message right there. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So why aren't the Jews saved? Did they not understand? No, they they understood. Did they not hear? No, they heard. When they heard, didn't they understand? No, they understood. Why didn't they believe? Because they could never bring themselves to submit by faith to God's calling, to God's mission, to be the light to the Gentiles. Instead, they took their place as God's people and tried to lord it over the Gentiles, tried to make themselves out to be better than the Gentiles, too good for the Gentiles. Boy, thank God we don't act like that as a church in this culture, huh? We don't ever talk about the faith in terms of us and them, that world out there, outside the church, outside the walls, those lost people. Thank God we never treat our world that way, huh? It's never us and them, is it? Because if we treat the world that way, we have grouped ourselves with the people who don't get it. Have we not heard? Yes, we've heard. Do we not understand? Well, that's questionable if we treat the world that way. But we understood the claims of the gospel. We sit in church every Sunday and recite them. We even say that there's a great commission that we're called to go to every creature and preach the gospel. And then we go home and watch the football game on TV. The sad truth is we know the truth and we understand it well enough to to walk the Roman road, to put the cross in the chasm. 
We, we've learned evangelism explosion. If you die tonight, do you have faith that you'd be in heaven tomorrow? Don't you dare ask anyone that question if you're not willing to walk with them through the gate. How would they believe anyone about whom they haven't heard? How would they hear if no one tells them? How will, how will anyone tell them unless he's sent? Who is sent? You and I are the ones who are sent. You and I are the ones who are called. Oh, preacher, I'm just a car mechanic. It's okay. You're still sent. God's going to send people to your shop this week, and you're the only one that's going to see them this week who knows anything about Jesus. Do you have to know the scriptures? Do you have to be able to quote chapter and verse? No. No. Treat them like Jesus would treat them. Be gracious to them. Be honest with them. Do something for them just out of the goodness of your heart. And when they say, why would you do that? You say, well, because I, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And I believe he's called me to minister to you today. Don't have to do it to everybody. God will show you the people that need to know his touch, that need to know his word. I'm just asking if you won't be a little bit more sensitive as you walk through your day today. to be the one who was sent into that place, into that day, into that moment with the gospel that you participate in, that you love, that you live by. Could you not in some moment show it to the person who needs it? I work in a place where I am required to kind of be the hammer with school kids. I'm required to be the room where there's no talking, there's no devices. Your phone goes in a drawer when you come into my room. There's no talking, there's no, there's no video games, there's no electronics other than the Chromebook on which they learn their classwork. And, and my desk has a workstation at which I can see what everybody's doing. And if they're on anything except their work, they're in more trouble. I'm required to be the hammer. And when they say, can I go to the bathroom? I'm the one who's required to say, we will all go at 1030. And until then, sit back down and get your work done. And, and when kids first come into my classroom, they sigh and they roll their eyes and they grumble and they complain and they argue. And I'm like, no, there's no argument here. You Put yourself in my room by your actions. Now sit down and get your work done. Talk back again. You'll go to the office and you'll get more days in this room with me. You don't like it here? Do what you're supposed to do and get out and don't come back. And there have been kids who have been really angry that they've landed in my care and they have to follow my rules. But without exception. After they've been with me two, three, four, five days, they come back. Not to sit in my in-school suspension classroom, but they come back to me in the hall. Hey, Mr. Hopkins, can you help me with this? Hey, Mr. Hopkins, 
I'm having a little trouble with Mrs. Smith and she doesn't understand that I'm trying to do this for this project. How do I talk to her about this? One kid, the assignment was to, to pick a, 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 an influential historical figure about whom to write a term paper. And he chose El Capo, the drug lord. And his teacher said, you cannot write your paper about El Chapo. And he came to me and he said, Mr. Hopkins, the assignment is to pick an influential historical figure. It doesn't say positive or negative. It says an influential historical figure. And El Chapo has changed the face of North America. Now, he did it in a very negative way and by criminal means. But I can talk about that in my paper. He can be a bad example, just as George Washington could be a positive example. Can you talk to her? I said, no, but you can. Go make that case that you just made with me, with her, but make it calmly. Ask for a moment to talk to her about this and tell her exactly what you've told me. Reason it out. And if she says, no, I'd rather you not do that, then say, yes, ma'am, I'll find somebody else. But I think she'll agree if you'll show her your logic. An hour later, he came back between the next two classes, all smiles, beaming. Mr. Hopkins, I talked to Mrs. Smith and she said I can write my paper on El Chapo. I said, okay, but you have to use his real name. He laughed. That kid who didn't want to write a paper, who didn't want to make up note cards and evidence cards, who didn't want to structure paragraphs and 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 sections came back to me four or five days in a row how do I do this where do I put this how do I make this make sense what kind of organizational structure do I use here and the things that he hadn't been paying attention to in class that's why he didn't know how to do them I was able to supplement and talk with Mrs. Smith in between those times and say hey I'm working with Bobby on this not his real name And she said, okay, have him do it this way. And together, we taught that kid the things he'd missed, he caught up on. Because suddenly, he had something he was interested in. That kid understands that I love him. I love him enough to want him to succeed, to help him with his work, to see him a success. His bearing is different. His attitude is different toward her, toward me, toward school. He never would have known that if he hadn't ended up in my care as a bad kid, as a disobedient, rebellious kid. And he never would have known that if I hadn't cared enough to enforce the rules and at the same time show him grace and show him a path back to being redeemed and being okay and being a good kid. Now, when we work with adults, it seems like it's different, but it's not. The men and the women that you live with, that you work with, that you talk to, that you encounter, they long to hear somebody say, you're such a good guy. You're such a good friend. You 
are a good woman. Our world is starving to hear that. And when they don't, they behave the other way because they're convinced they're not good. Help me take the message of God, of Christ, of redemption, of salvation into this world and say to people, there's a path, not just to being good, but to being saved. There's a path to being a citizen of heaven for eternity. There's a path to pleasing God. And it's not a hard one. If you say with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, my friend, you are a good man. You are a good woman.